Welcome to St. Alphonsus Wellcast, the podcast where we explore the many facets of health and well-being. This podcast is brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Well-Being and a generous grant from the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the St. Alphonsus Wellcast. This is Kim Cleveland, family nurse practitioner with the Department of Corporate Health and Well-Being. Today, we are continuing our series on cognitive impairment and all things brain health. We have Katie Horrocks and Kathleen Little, social workers with the St. Alphonsus Brain Health Memory Center program. Today, we are talking about levels of senior care and how to access assisted living. Hi, Kathleen. Good morning. And hi, Katie. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on today. This is such an important topic for everybody to hear about who has a loved one or knows anybody who may need increasing levels of care, support as they age. Um, it's a very complex topic, uh, very robust, and a lot of things to consider. Um, and luckily, you have the support of our brain health program and our social workers who can help navigate the landscape. But for those of you who are interested in hearing more about the different levels of care, what they entail, and all the different considerations, we have a little bit of a roadmap for you today to follow. Um, so there are several different levels, and I'll kind of just mention the ones we'll talk about today, and then we'll go into a little more detail. Um, there are 55 and over communities. There are certified family homes, independent living facilities, assisted living, memory care, and then what we consider nursing homes, which if you're ever in the hospital or in a medical setting, you may hear them referred to as rehabs or SNFs, SNFs. Um, so we'll kind of go into a little bit more detail about these, if that sounds good to you, Kathleen. Perfect. Great. Okay, so let's start with the 55 and up communities. What does this entail? What does this look like? And who might be a good candidate for this? Yeah, you know, generally people who are 55 years and older and are still wanting to maintain their independence, but are wanting to live in a community with others that are like them, they quite often uh, form really good friendships and they sometimes have you know, meetings at the clubhouse and, you know, they're usually um, gated. They're quite often, they have landscaping that's done for them. And it's just sort of easy living with others that are your age and that you find commonality with. And so it's a great way for your loved one to keep their independence, but maybe just have a little bit more feeling of security and mm -hmm. socialization. Okay. Mm -hmm. That sounds palatable for many individuals, regardless exactly. of their level of cognition and, and ability to care for themselves if, they're, if they are still very able. Um, okay, and then how about certified family homes? Can you explain those in a little bit more detail for me? Yeah, you know, I think certified family homes are a really nice alternative when people are especially watching their budgets and want a smaller, more personalized feeling. So for instance, Kim, if you or I were to decide that we wanted to open up a certified family home, maybe we are empty nesters and our kids have moved out of the home and we have a couple of extra rooms that are available, we would go through a process with health and welfare of having background checks. They would probably do a home walkthrough they would check for things like fire extinguishers and safe exits. And so you go through that process to become a certified family home, and then you can have people come into your home and live in your home, and you would be considered the primary caretaker. You would provide for housekeeping and meals. It's a really nice alternative to assisted living because they're usually anywhere between one and $2,000 a month, where assisted living will range between four and $6,000 oh, wow. a month. And mm -hmm. Many of them will take Medicaid, 
if you want to find a list of certified family homes, you can go on to healthwelfare.idaho.gov, and they have a tab that's listed certified family homes. Mm-hmm. And these are just embedded in normal neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. They are. Sort of just in the community as though. Yeah, so picture your loved one would have their room, and then they would share the kitchen, the living room, the family room. So mm-hmm. it's it, so it's it's a real community. Um, they're um, just in that in that closeness mm-hmm. of that part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, it's nice. The backyard and things like that. They would all of that is included. You know, for them to live there. Yeah, and that seems like it might be a really good option for people who may be looking for something a little more smaller, a little more tight knit. Um, what does it look like as an individual? Um, Having family members maybe close by want to come visit if they if your loved one lives in a certified family home does that allow for a similar visitation or what what does the what's the normal landscape there Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So people are free to come and go. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would think that the certified family home providers would encourage that very much. So so you know the idea of um, continuing to visit people when they're in these homes and get them out of the homes to go out and you know, live life socially is super important. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really nice alternative for a lot of people, especially people who might feel lost in a larger location. So mm-hmm. some people just really want to feel like they're at home. Mm-hmm. And they would know the same people. Mm-hmm. The same people would be their caregivers. Yeah, it's like a family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a family. Yeah, it's a family. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really great option. Um, okay, so if people are moving toward you know, less of a smaller community or looking at bigger options, maybe more commercial options. What is, what does independent living entail versus assisted living? Yeah. You know, independent living would be where you would probably have your own apartment. You can still drive if you are able, so you can come and go. It's kind of hassle-free living. So think of a, a, many of them are very beautiful and they have common dining areas and they will provide for weekly housekeeping. But that's usually it. Other than that, you're on your own. So mm-hmm. if you need some sort of medical oversight, independent living is probably not for you. They do not have nurses on staff. Many of okay. them will have call bell lights in their room. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you needed to, you know, um, if you needed to ring somebody because of an emergency, then they would probably um, automatically call 911. Mm-hmm. But there's no actual nursing oversight on the property. Okay. Right. So it's a nice alternative if someone says, I need a little bit more help. I'm, I'm kind of growing weary of taking care of the cleaning and the cooking. And I really like the idea that comes from um, feeling like there's safety in numbers and being mm-hmm. with other people. I like mm-hmm. the idea of being able to socialize at mealtime, mm-hmm. but I don't want to live alone anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet not quite ready for assisted living yet. That's a nice in between. Yeah, I'm thinking my own grandmother here, her current situation is very much independent and it kind of allows for her waxing and waning energy amounts. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes she feels very able to make her own meals and to care for her own place. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. she's just really tired and and wants to rest more. And it kind of allows for that flexibility for her as well. Sure. And some of the independent livings will have their own little kitchenettes in their rooms. And they can do that. Or if they don't, then they can go down to the community meals. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great option. Um, And then in terms of moving toward assisted living, which would be a little bit higher level of care, what um, what would be that transition point or what would be the main differences between independent and assisted living? Sure. So, you know, when Katie discussed earlier activities of daily living skills, so when it becomes more difficult for someone to be able to perhaps toilet themselves or bathe themselves or dress themselves or 
manage their medications, uh, knowing when to take their medications, how to order their medications. So in assisted living, that's done for you. So for instance, with the medications, all those medications are kept locked up in a medication cart. When they run out, the staff are reordering them. So when it's time for you to take your medication, they're coming to you and handing you the medication and telling you what you're taking Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. making sure it's done correctly and it's Mm -hmm. um, kept track of. And then um, they're able to assist with, again, toileting, dressing, bathing. They provide for security, for activities. They have really robust activity programming, Mm -hmm. and many of them, and you know, I think it's a wonderful option for someone if they say, gosh, I just, I don't think I need a nursing home. I think what I need is just more help. Mm-hmm. Some folks are more independent than others at assisted living. Mm-hmm. And I think what's nice about assist- assisted living is that it allows for that. Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. there's different levels sure. in an assisted living. And yeah. I, think that, I think that's kind of what you're speaking of. Sure. You know, we, de- we definitely see a lot of different um, independent Mm-hmm. Um, that varies yeah. from one to the other. And depending on the assisted facility itself, mm-hmm. the levels will change. Yes. So there's not one standardization. So right. for instance, there's not levels one, two, and three at every assisted living you go to. No, it really depends on the organization. Yeah, they change on the facility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so assisted living is, you know, do they normally have nurses on staff as well since they are including medications and things like that That's as well? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. So... Yes and no. So some of the larger ones will have a full-time nurse on staff. That's not actually a regulation. The regulation calls for a nurse to do a head-to-toe assessment upon time of admission to do quarterly head-to-toe assessments. So that means every three months and if there were to be a significant change of conditions. So, for instance, if someone uh, went to bed alert and they woke up in the morning and they were markedly more confused. That mm-hmm. would be a change of condition, right? Mm-hmm. If or somebody if somebody was mobile mm-hmm. and then were, was in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that change right. would be another reason. Exactly. So a nurse would need to do an assessment. So some of the smaller facilities will not have a nurse in the building, but they will have a nurse on call 24-7 mm-hmm. and meeting those regulations upon mm-hmm. time of admission quarterly significant mm-hmm. change of condition. So the pricing will also usually mm-hmm. be impacted mm-hmm. by how often the nurse is there. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if your loved one has a limited amount of need for medical oversight, then probably having, you know, a smaller location would probably be fine. Having a nurse that assess them once a quarter, uh, you know, would probably be fine. But mm-hmm. if you are very concerned for your loved one's medical needs, then you might consider a location where they have a nurse on, on hand all the time. Mm-hmm. Those are really good considerations. And just in the spirit of brain health and cognitive impairment that we're discussing a lot of throughout this series, um, memory care is another level, another tier of um, a care that may be required. And what exactly does that entail? Sure. So assisted living can have memory care buildings. Sometimes they'll have memory care units that are dedicated to those with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. The staff will have specific training for memory care issues. So it is possible to have your loved one in a 
assisted living unit that does not have memory care if they have mild cognitive impairment Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um, mild dementia. But um, if they start to become, if it starts to become more profound, then usually it'll be time to transition to a unit or Mm -hmm. to a building dedicated to memory care so that they're with staff that are specifically trained Mm -hmm. for their needs and their concerns. Mm -hmm. And are there generally more staff members available in those types of situations than than in an assisted living? There isn't any regulation that requires that, but generally the answer will be yes, Yes. just by the sheer needs that they will have Mm -hmm. in terms of needing help with those ADLs that we talked about redirection. They'll need more assistance at mealtime. They'll need more assistance uh, for activities Mm -hmm. to uh, keep them, you know, involved in the activities will require just more hands-on and Mm side-by-side interactions. So Mm -hmm. generally, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so these are, you know, many different options. And then we sort of get into like nursing homes and rehab facilities, Mm -hmm. which to me and in my mind, um, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of represent their own arena of, you know, maybe more strictly regulated um, and and more, um, more staff on hand, more nurses on hand, things like that. Can you speak a little bit to, to the regulations that are there for the skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes or rehab facilities? Yeah. You know, I think assisted living is, is a great option for usually a chapter of time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will be able to stay there until the end of life, but when someone is uh, becomes a danger to themselves or other people, or they become beyond the level of care for assisted living, so let's say, for instance, they were to need a ventilator or a trach, there's many skilled reasons why someone can no longer be managed in assisted living. They would need to go to a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Nursing homes tend to be more expensive, obviously, mm-hmm. than most assisted livings, uh, And so they can be quite pricey, um, and so that's often a reason why people are looking for other alternatives. But, you know, they certainly have a a lot more staffing, you know, options in terms of quite often they'll have OTs on staff and PTs and physical therapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists and respiratory therapists and RNs and LPNs and social workers on staff. So if someone is needing around-the-clock care – in a facility with lots of uh, different staffing options and needing that type of oversight, that's a great option for them. So kind of like a little mini lower level of care hospital almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah that's ways. a great description. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so there's a lot of different levels here. Um, I'd like to get in a little bit to talk about things you might want to think about or consider um, when thinking about the care your loved one may need going forward throughout their lifespan. But the first thing that kind of hops into my mind is many individuals who are older may or may not have a spouse that's still living and, and may require different levels of care for them or the same level. What does that look like at some of these facilities if you're hoping to maintain that closeness with your spouse or your significant other? And and how is that usually um, accounted for? Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. So, you know, there are communities where they have all three, where they would have independent living, assisted living, mm-hmm. and, you know, the skilled care or nursing home portion. And so that's a really nice option where you would still be on the same property, but perhaps you wouldn't be in the same building or on the same units. Mm-hmm. And memory care, too. And memory care would be included in those, too. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's a great option. Um, I think that 
sometimes people can start out together in assisted living and then maybe somebody needs to go on to the nursing home right. and the other person stays in the assisted living. Again, if they're on the same property, mm-hmm. that's a really nice option for people to be able to stay together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think something that we haven't necessarily talked about yet, though, is, and I would want to include would be the idea of adult daycare and, as well as a respite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when people aren't quite sure if they're ready to make a commitment um, to assisted living, and I'm speaking to that a lot just because that's really my background, it's nice to give them a chance to sort of try it on mm-hmm. for size. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this idea that you could go and drop your loved one off for two or three hours while mm-hmm. you needed to run errands, while you needed to have a, an appointment, Kind of gets them more familiar with assisted living, but also gets um, the person who's dropping them off a used sense of uh, used to it and uh-huh. helps them become hopefully more comfortable with it. And then there's respite, which is overnight. So, okay. you know, if you needed to go out of town and you needed a place for your loved one to stay, but you um, weren't comfortable with them staying alone, you could mm-hmm. have them stay for respite. Many of the assisted livings will allow for that. And again, mm-hmm. just gives you this opportunity to kind of try it on for size and see how comfortable you are with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are all really great options too, for people in that sort of messy middle ground where it's, exactly. it's not, it's not necessarily clear um, what the next step is. What does that look like in terms of when people are starting to make that transition into considering independent living or assisted living? What are the normal situations that you see that prompt those changes or that make someone maybe more open to or considering that transition? Yeah, I think quite often if they um, have a spouse that's passed away mm-hmm. um, or if they start having more medical issues more mm-hmm. frequently, You know, I think it's super important to just sit down and try to have a really loving conversation with your loved one and be as transparent as you can, but as kind as what you can about Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, we see that handled in lots of different ways Mm -hmm. um, by many different people. And usually we, we see the best results happen when someone approaches it as if, gosh, you know, if this were happening to me, kind of that old you know, golden Mm -hmm. rule of how would Mm -hmm. I want someone to treat me? How would I want someone to approach this with me? It's, it's never an easy conversation to have, but the sooner you can have it, the earlier you can have it in someone's brain health, the easier it will be. So before your loved one becomes confused, before they start to have issues with their brain health, if you can approach these conversations in a loving, open way with your family and really try to understand what it is they would want if something happened to them, mm-hmm. then that's going to help you be more prepared for the future. But if that, you know, if that time has come and gone and mm-hmm. that window of opportunity has closed, then I think the next best thing is to rally the people in your circle um, that would be the most likely to be supportive in helping you with this process and just approach it as openly and together as what you mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of things I'm thinking of just in my background in family medicine and, and the things that, you know, we used to speak with patients about. The first thing I'd like to highlight, too, is the Medicare annual wellness visit for as much, um, you know, I, mixed press, I would say that mm-hmm. that visit has gotten. It's such a powerful time for both clinicians and family members to discuss mm-hmm. with individuals as they're aging, sort of what their goals are for themselves and, and where mm-hmm. they yeah where they see themselves aging, because that could look different for every individual, first of all. And then second of all, the level of um, 
you know, how realistic that is for them could change from year to year. Mm -hmm. And that conversation is an ongoing conversation and dialogue, particularly in a setting where it's a little less threatening as part of just an annual check-in and is, um, I don't want to say formulaic, but almost like a necessary, I don't want to say box to check, but sort of it, it gives mm-hmm. us a prompt where we have to talk about it every year, which mm-hmm. oftentimes, depending on your relationship with your family member or the dynamics that have been at play before, it may be a situation that's been avoided or mm-hmm. a conversation that, that hasn't been had because it, it is a difficult one at times. Um, so I think, you know, if someone is able to accompany their loved one to that visit or if that um, if their loved one is amenable to that, then it might be a good time too to just have a little powwow as a clinic and, and with maybe a social worker or just the family physician and talk about what that's looking like at home. I think that can be a really great time to, to spark that conversation too. I love oh, that, yeah. Kim. Yeah. And we love it. And, and we ask that when our, you know, when our patients come in, that they bring a family member with them. That's such an important piece of the visit because when that family member comes with them, then we're able to at some point during the appointment, hopefully pull them aside and have a Mm -hmm. chance to, you know, hear some of the things that are on their mind and Mm -hmm. some of their observations and having the observations of family members and your support team is super important. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives us a whole nother level of insight into how to help people. Yes. Yeah. We, we understand their day to day Mm -hmm. so much more, um, just the insight that they bring Mm -hmm. um, the family members is immeasurable yeah 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 that's that's really great um so we know what our options are we've talked about sort of how to transition or what that transition might look like let's talk a little bit about cost um you mentioned that there may be more cost depending on the tiers of care what can individuals be expecting for a level of cost if they decide they need more more care and assistance yeah you know i i think you could probably find an assistant living somewhere between 35 and 4500 dollars would be on the low end um generally speaking probably the more average cost would be somewhere between five and six thousand um sometimes memory care can go up from there um again it will have a lot to do with the size of the assisted living so you know usually the larger they are usually the more amenities that they have mm-hmm. um and usually you'll pay accordingly mm-hmm. for that and mm-hmm. so you know, the smaller ones are anywhere from eight to 16 beds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're usually the ones that are going to be down between four and 5,000 has been my experience. And so um, assisted livings can take long-term care insurance. So if we can talk a minute about pricing, yeah, a lot of people don't even realize they have a long-term care insurance policy. Oh. So I always encourage people to ask that question. Quite often it's one that maybe you bought 20 years or 30 years ago and your loved one didn't even know they had it. And so that's super important to ask that question. And then um, many of them will take Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So Medicaid is based on income. It's a state-funded program. And then it's private pay. A lot of times our seniors will get confused between Medicare and Medicaid. And Uh, Medicare does not pay for assisted living. Okay. So definitely the Medicaid only and then private pay from there. And long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. And what options are available for veterans? Are there other options for those who have served? There is. There's a program through the Veterans Administration called Aid in Attendance. And so... If you are a veteran, we very much encourage you to access those benefits and to mm-hmm. see if you would be eligible. Okay. So fairly expensive we're looking at um, for really any other care. You mentioned, too, the certified family homes sometimes can be 
a little less expensive yeah. potentially mm-hmm. for individuals too who are on a budget. I think they're generally about half the cost of assisted living, if not a little bit less. Again, probably yeah. depending on the size of the certified family home. Right. Okay. And then in terms of finding an assisted living, how does one go about finding a good fit for them or finding any that are available or that have um, room for them in space? Yeah, they can go to the healthandwelfare.idaho.gov. Okay. And um, they will have a list of assisted livings and uh, certified family homes as well as nursing homes. And they have a list of um, also the surveys that you can find online. And I don't think a survey of a facility tells the whole story. Um but I think it certainly helps um, tell a piece of the story mm-hmm. of someone's track record. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also several um, agencies in the area that um, you can plug into. You can call Katie or myself and we can mm-hmm. give you their names. And they do nothing but um, help you find these locations. And then they charge the facility if you move in. They don't charge you. Oh, okay. And so mm-hmm. um, there's several of them in the area that we recommend frequently. So if you're interested, we are happy to give you those names and you can reach out to us and we'd share that information with you gladly. Okay. Yeah. yeah those seem like good resources for individuals who may need that little bit of extra help and assistance navigating it. It's a complex landscape and mm-hmm. lots of locations everywhere and lots of big names and small names and, and all sorts of things. Um, if someone decides they are going to move into assisted living, what do they need to do? What do they need to bring with them? What kind of documentation is required? Yeah, no, great question. So if you decide that you want to move into assisted living, the best thing to do would be, I would suggest taking a tour. Mm -hmm. We suggest taking tours at, um, not always necessarily scheduled times. So I would be interested to know if I were looking for an assisted living for my loved one, what happens on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So I might be tempted to drop in on a Saturday afternoon um, or in the evening during the week mm-hmm. if you're wanting to meet with the executive director or the administrator. Um, they use those names interchangeably. Mm-hmm. You can call and schedule an appointment mm-hmm. and start a dialogue with them. Some mm-hmm. of them will have their own furniture that you can rent. Some of them will have furniture that you know, is already there for you to use. And then some of them will allow for you to bring your own furniture. Mm -hmm. They will need a history and physical from the physician within the last six months. Some of them require um, a shorter time frame than that. So that's why you'll really want to check with them about what their admission policy says. Mm -hmm. They will need a list of medications from the patient's physician that's signed and they may have, have some other miscellaneous documents, but the history and physical and the signed medication orders are the big ones. Mm-hmm. For sure. I can see those being really important, particularly if they are requiring a higher level of care. And then, of course, you'd want to bring some things that would just help make their room feel a little bit more familiar to them. Yeah. So maybe a yeah. special blanket or some pictures. You'll want to bring their personal hygiene items, bring some of their favorite clothes, things that are comfortable for them to get off and on, some slippers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... What's nice about that is that you always have the option if you don't get it all the first day, then, you know, you can always add to as, mm-hmm. as um, time goes on. And, you know, anything you can do to help make their space feel more personalized to them will help them probably feel more comfortable in their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, what happens if someone shows up and they sort of settle in and then they decide after a period of time it's just not for them or they're not happy where they are? What does that look like? Yeah, I always encourage people to give it a little bit of time. You know, if you think about it, a move for any of us takes a lot of um, 
adjusting. It can be very stressful. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think you can really make up your mind um, in the first day, the first week, uh, unless something, you know, egregious has happened. Right. Um, and there's huge red flags for you mm-hmm. for some reason. I would really encourage you to give it 30 days. Mm-hmm. And um, and then if you are, for some reason, dissatisfied on behalf of your loved one, um, I would encourage you to seek out the administrator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Katie had we were brainstorming some ideas the other day and she had mentioned, you know, the idea of wouldn't it be helpful if people wrote down a list of concerns they had. So when they went to talk to the, mm-hmm. to the um, administrator that they could you know, remember what all those concerns are and try to give some times and dates to when that specifically happened. And that will help the administrator have a better understanding of, you know, what your concerns are. And then if you want to, you know, schedule a follow-up meeting to that, but you know, it's hard for people to know how to make change if they don't know what your concerns are. And so to just, you know, leave or to just move out without having major concerns or your needs known, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't really help the situation. Yeah. And it, it can be, um, it can be hard on you as well as, um, your loved one to turn around and move them again. So I think it's always better to try to find, you know, workable solutions. Yes. Plus there's often a moving fee when you're moving from building to building. So it can be expensive as well as, you know, labor intensive to move everything. So. Right. Yeah. Hearing a lot of common threads with communication Mm -hmm. and, and sort of all of our, you know, basic tenets of, of humanity and connection and, and maintaining um, open communication between both us and our loved ones. And then those who are assisting in the care of of our loved ones as well, to be sure that everybody's needs are met. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a really great comprehensive um, review of different options for individuals. And, you know, for those of you listening, this is probably still very complex and, and may have left with more questions than answers. And, and we're always here for you at the Brain Health Memory Center program. And our social workers are, are happy to talk through these individual case-by-case situations to provide that support and help individualize a plan that works for everybody. So thank you so much for providing this introduction. And we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Alphonsus Wellcast, brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing and the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Always be sure to catch new episodes by subscribing to us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. We hope you'll tune in again. Until then, be well.